Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Bothell Amplified. Pastor Joe here. Today we launch our Advent series from generation to generation. It's through the great work of a sanctified art. Today we look at Matthew chapter 1 and the genealogy of Jesus and find how we too can fit into God's story, how we can embody the fullness of God's story in all that we do as we look towards the future of being the embodiment of hope and joy, peace and love. Check out the sermon here. morning. My name is Jim Crouch, and before I start this scripture reading, I want to thank Jim O'Farrell, who was the scripture reader at 9 o'clock, who researched all the pronunciations of these complicated uh, biblical names that uh, from this uh, scripture in Matthew. As we enter the season of Advent and a new sermon series called From Generation to Generation, our scripture reading will start with Matthew 1, verses 1 through 17, an account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Anam, Aram and Aram, father of Aminadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nation, and Nation, the father of Salmon. That's a word I know. (laughs) And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos. And Amos, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Salathiel 
and Salathiel, the father of Zorubbabel, and Zorubbabel, the father of Abiad, and Abiad, the father of Elikim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliad, and Eliad, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Mathan, and Mathan, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, who bore Jesus, who is called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation of, to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 more generations. Holy words for God's people. Um, yesterday, uh, I was watching uh, college football, and I saw this commercial that I, I loved that I wanted to share with you. I, th I think it was uh, AT&T or T-Mobile. Um, and it started with uh, this guy. He, was, he took out his phone, and he uh, sent a chat. He sent a text, um, and it said, hey, who's working late tonight? And uh, there was uh, somebody who was like in medical scrubs, like working late, you know, it was dark, and said, oh, me. And then there was another woman who uh, was like cleaning a, 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 like a restaurant, like, like mopping up like after clothes, and she's like, I am. And then there was another person, I forget what it was, but some, you know, some custodial or something, like working late, oh, me too. And then Santa Claus was like, me too. And uh, the guy, the original poster goes, uh, original text goes, um, dude, you only work late one night a year, give it a rest, <laughs> right? And it was fun because it was this, like, this chat around, uh, and they continued the story, and, and I think it ended with something like, you know, whether you work one night, a, uh, work late one night a year or every night of the year, you know, you, every deal is special for you. It was trying to get you to buy phones and plans. But it, it stuck with me because in, in a way, it kind of reminded me that all of us bring, like, different aspects of our lives into the space together, Right? Like some of us, we work late. Sometimes some of us work early. Some of us retired. Some of us aren't working at all, right? Our kids, right? And others. Um, some of us come bringing a lot of joy and happiness to this moment. Others of us come just bearing a lot of grief and sadness. And all we want to name that for this little while together, all of that is good. We want you to know that you can bring the fullness of who you are into this time together, that all with which we come we are welcome and we belong in this community. We get to make up this beautiful community or this beautiful, beloved community of God. Um, and we want to especially name, too, that there are times and places where that's not true for everyone, where people are kept out or, or marginalized or, or pushed out. And we want to name that if you are one of those people who've been kept out of places of worship and places of faith, you are welcome and you belong. If you are gay or lesbian, transgender, bisexual, questioning, know that you are welcome, know that you belong. If you're black or brown or indigenous, if you've been discriminated against because of the color of your skin, know that you are welcome, know that you belong. Uh, if you find yourself homeless or houseless or in the lower economic brackets of our community, uh, if you are single or divorced or partnered or separated, know that you are welcome, know that you belong. Uh, with all of your unique gifts and abilities created to be bearers of Christ's image to all the world, know that you are welcome, know that you belong. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. 
Oh God, be present here and in all the places from which we are worshiping. Move in us and through us that we too would be moved and changed. Speak to us, we pray. Less of me, more of you. None of me, all of you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You know, this week I, I found myself waiting a lot. And perhaps this has been true for you as well. On, on Monday, I was at Costco along with what seemed to be a thousand of my closest friends, uh, apparently all deciding that our holiday shopping had to get done at that moment. Uh, the lines of checkout, the lines of gas, was waiting and waiting and waiting. I waited for my kids to get home for the start of break. I waited for Zoom meetings to start, for appointments to arrive. I waited for our friends to come on Thanksgiving, for the ducks to finish in the oven, for the first load in the dishwasher to finish, then the second and the third. I waited for coffee to brew. I waited for the bath to fill. How, how have you waited this week? I know some of you also received family and friends from out of town. I imagine doing some waiting of your own. Others of you were the ones traveling, uh, waiting in security lines, waiting to board, waiting in traffic. Maybe you waited for an important result of a medical test or a phone call updating you on the status of a loved one. Maybe you waited for a child or a grandchild to be born or for simply the kids to go to bed so you could have some time to think. On Friday, we were uh, putting up our tree and other decorations around the house, and, and we, we have this countdown calendar. It, it, it's this decorated uh, wooden fixture with, with, with a shelf on it, and it has uh, two cubes, uh, each face of each cube with a number painted on it, so that every day you kind of set it to be the countdown to Christmas, and it reads zero, zero. And we were setting it up, and, and the kids asked, uh, so how many days until Christmas? I don't know. <laughs> Alexa, how many days until Christmas? Apparently there's 29 at the time. And they said, Appa, it's so hard to wait. So hard to wait. I remember reading a book uh, years ago. It was called Faster, The Acceleration of Just About Everything. It was by a guy named James Gleick. And it's this fascinating book. Uh, the cover of the edition I have is, is simply this yellow solid with, with bold block letters, uh, leaving out all the vowels. So it's uh, F. S-T-R, faster, and then it says J-M-S, James and Clyke, G-L-C-K. And the premise of the book is that most of us suffer some degree of what he calls hurry sickness. It's a sickness that has launched us into a need-everything-yesterday sphere dominated by the increase in technology, which at the time was like faxes and cell phones and computers and even remote controls. And, and he argues that for all the hours and minutes and seconds that we save by um, picking up technology, we're still filling our days so much to the point that we have no time for such basic human activities like eating or exercise or human connection. And so here we are, culturally unconditioned to wait, but in a season that requires us to do just that, to wait. Right? Advent, it comes from this Latin root for, for arriving or coming, and, and it spans these four weeks that are intended to be for us a time to prepare, to anticipate for, to, to expect the coming of Christ to the world, to, to wait for the embodiment of hope and joy and peace 
and love. And while waiting might be difficult at times, there is a blessing that comes in the waiting, an appreciation of what is to come, and specifically in Advent. I think the, the, the world can be so overwhelming at times because the truth is that life does get busy. There are deadlines to meet, appointments to keep, um, schedules to maintain and manage. And we look out at the world and we, we see that it's not as it was intended to be. And, and perhaps more than ever, we, we need that blessing that comes in the waiting for the embodiment of hope and joy, peace and love. Pope Benedict, he, he once put it this way, he said, It is the beautiful task of Advent to awaken in all of us memories of goodness and thus to open doors of hope. I love that. Memories of goodness, doors of hope. Our theme for, for Advent this year is generation to generation. It's, it's from a sanctified art. And here's what they say about the theme. They say the stories, scriptures, and traditions of the Christmas season have been passed down to us throughout the generations. Like a tapestry woven throughout time, the Christmas story weaves us in to remember how God has shown up in the past, to continue the work of collective liberation, to behold the presence of God in flesh and bone. It reminds us of the ways our lives Histories, actions, and stories are interconnected and woven together. The work of God is always unfolding in and through us. I think that's why our journey this Advent season begins with this genealogy of Jesus that Jim read for us this morning to, to remind us that the story of God at work in the world did not begin with Jesus, nor does it end with Jesus. It started long before and it will continue even today. But there's something about names that stay only as names until there are stories attached to them. Right? When I was at uh, Silver City uh, just about a month ago, uh, just outside of Boise, it, it's a ghost town now. It, it's one of the few old mining towns that did not burn or, or become commercialized into a modern city and we were taken around to what was left of this once thriving city. There's about 75 structures uh, that were formerly homes or, or businesses that dated from the 1860s to the early 1900s. And along the way, we, we stopped by the cemetery. We passed between headstones. We, we saw some that had names, some with names and, and dates of birth and dates of death. A couple of them just had the word unknown inscribed on them. The ones that came alive for me, they were the ones that we stopped at with, with the guy telling us stories of their lives and their deaths and, and everything in between. How, how one person came out west looking for riches and instead found love. Or how a disease one year struck that accounted for all the lives in this little plot. Or how one person wanted to have the largest headstone in all of Silver City and it broke along the way. And since he had already died and the whole thing was really heavy, the procession left the other half down at the base of the hill. 
or how there was a population of Chinese immigrants who, who lived and worked in Silver City and how as they died, the remaining immigrants would return the bodies and bones, have them arranged to go back to China to be buried, which is why, as legend goes, there was only one Chinese name left in the cemetery because there was no one else to send his body back. But those are stories of other people. Silver City is not and has never been part of my story. It's one that I definitely had the privilege of receiving, of holding with honor and care, but, but it's not mine, and, and there's a difference in that too. Because you see, if, if we were at George Washington Memorial Park in Paramus, New Jersey, you would get to know my story through the lives of my grandparents who are buried there. You would know where I came from, the, the child of immigrants, the, the child, grandchild of a sojourner from the northern part of Korea before it was divided, uh, of a convert to Christianity who passed it on to his family. You, you would know the one who gave me and my brother our Korean names. You would know me and my story because it's my story. It's one that I embody. And I wonder if that's what we're supposed to do as we hear these names of those in the generations before Jesus. Are we supposed to claim their stories as our own? Right? As people of faith who put our faith in the one who is the embodiment of hope and joy and peace and love, perhaps we too are to embody his stories. Supposed to embody his stories as our stories, embodying the hope and joy and peace and love that does transform the world. Stories like Abraham, who was called to leave his father's land to a place where God would show him the one who would go on to bless the world. And like Rahab, who would hide away the Israelites in her home on their journey to the promised land. And like David, who went from being the youngest son to be made king, who, who united the tribes into a kingdom and then was judged for sending a man to his death. And like kings Hezekiah and Manasseh and Ammon and Josiah, like, and like, like Azor and, and Zadok and Eleazar, who are listed nowhere else in the Bible. What does it mean to embody those stories? Many of you enjoy, know that I enjoy cooking. And while the pictures look great, I won't vouch for the taste yet. But it's something that I started as an adult. Uh, something that finds, I find to be something that brings me joy and, and uh, some peace as I work around the kitchen. And these days, uh, my kids have been getting into it as well, which definitely adds to the experience in so many ways, like more dishes and more time. I didn't grow up cooking, though. Right? My, my, my mom, who was a fantastic cook, took on that role in our home. She sacrificed her time and her energy so that my brother and I, we could focus on our studies and other extracurricular activities after school. Uh, there's a reason to this day where I don't cook a lot of Korean food at home. And it's because I never got my mom's recipes down. And that's because there really is no recipe, right? I would try to find tutorials on YouTube or online. I would try to buy all the books of Korean recipes, the, the marinades for karbi, which is a braised short rib, or, or, or the recipes for sundubu, which is a spicy tofu stew, but, but, but they never turn out right. And one day I asked her, I said, hey, mom, how do you make those? And she said, yeah, just a, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, something like this, just, just this much of that. I said, how much is this much? 
There's a word for this in Korean. It's called sonmat, right? And it literally translates to son hand and mat, like taste, flavor, right? Hand, the flavor of one's hand. It's cooking that can't be taught by a recipe alone. It's part of a collective memory that's passed down. It's, it's this idea that you just know what a food should be like, what it should taste like, what it should look like. It's embodying the generations before you, literally embodying with your hands the generations before you as you create a meal that reaches to your core. Theologian uh, Bo Young Lee he talks about tonmat as, as a teacher. He says uh, it's the recreation of communal connections that teaches us across geography and space and time. Sonmat teaches us, especially in moments when we yearn for a home, for a regrounding in identity and peoplehood, when we need that blessing from the beyond to keep going in the here and now. This Advent journey, I wonder if we might prioritize embodying God's story as our own. Let me be clear about one thing. that God's story does include stories beyond what we get in Scripture through these first 17 verses of Matthew that we read this morning. God's story includes all the people named in Scripture beyond those names, but it goes beyond to include the names of those who lived and died in places that are not of that region. Places like South America and, and, and Africa and Asia where life was happening to how do we embody God's story, all of God's story, as we live into God's story unfolding. And I think that's the holy work that we're called to. We're, we're in this in-between time where we can celebrate and know and, 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 and remember the story of God's faithfulness from the beginning of time through the people in Scripture, through our ancestors, through the generations and lives past. But in this moment, how do we also look forward to the ways that God calls us and leads us into that preferred future where we do experience the fullness of hope and joy, peace, and love? What is our role in the midst of all of that? How do we embody, how do we have the sonmat, the tangible embodiment of the fullness of God's story in our midst now and in our midst to come? My hope is that as we journey through this Advent season, that we might find the ways to celebrate where we do experience hope and joy and peace and love, and also, where we might fill in the gaps, that we might find the places where there is a void of those things, and be the people God calls us to be, bringing life and love to the, those places, in all the places God calls. May we be the people that celebrates the gift that Jesus was, the gift that Jesus is, and the world which Jesus will bring about through us and in us, so that all might experience hope and joy, peace and love. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Holy One, we give you thanks for this time together. 
for an opportunity to be gathered online and on site, for the ways you connect us through our stories, the ways you connect us to one another through time and through space and places where we may not know, but you connect us to the fullness and fulfillment of your story. Thank you for that gift. We pray that you would journey with us through this season, that we too would live into the fullness of that story, that our stories would align with yours, and that we might experience hope and joy, peace and love now and in the future. It's in Christ's holy name that we pray. Amen. All right, so that was our first sermon of this Advent series from generation to generation. I hope you too can find ways in which you find yourself in God's story, how you embody the fullness of God's story. Check out next week when we continue the series and see the ways in which God is at work in our world. 